You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> This is Locked On Hornets presented by Built Bar. You can use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, at Walker Mayo, at Doug Branson, LOH. And as always, our Monday guest, you can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer making his weekly appearance. Rick, thank you so much once again for the time. How are you? I'm great, guys. I hope you are too. Yeah, we're doing well, Rick. I appreciate it once again. And we have a lot of stuff to get to because of all of the comments that we heard from people in the organization. Got to hear from James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak earlier on in the week last week and then had two days of interviews with some of the players and their exit interviews. First and foremost, Rick, if I were to just ask you the biggest takeaway that you had from everybody that you heard from, if I had to tell you if you had to write only one thing, uh, what would that have been on as far as the thing that you found the most notable? Well, exempting the obvious news that Malik Monk is back. Um, mm-hmm. I found something that I found really surprising um, because there, he had so much conviction when he said it was Mitch Kupchak saying that um, because he wasn't even asked about this. It just came out uh, uh, on the top of his time on, on the call um, that if he was prepared to draft on June 25th and would have had no reservations, no concerns whatsoever that they would have been 100% ready to do that well. Um, I don't doubt that Mitch is very confident they've done their homework, but it, it just kind of surprised me in the sense that uh, you guys, we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, I think the NFL draft came off as well as it did because basically the hay was in the barn. I mean, the vast majority of the opportunities to evaluate players um, had naturally happened before those selection process. That is entirely different than what I think the NBA faces in the, in the sense that they lost all the NCAA tournament. Um, they have not been able to have individual player workouts. Um, we don't know whether the combine will be rescheduled and under what rules um, draft candidates will be allowed to travel to teams. Um, the draft is going to be in October. Um, one or two things is true. Either Mitch um has done like a world class job of draft preparation or i think he's overly minimizing how much has been lost in this process yeah rick what and so when we talk about the ways to improve this team we always have to go to the nba draft but we know that mitch kupchak also talked about the cap room that they're going to have and one of the ways that you can make the team better is by maybe bringing on a contract that is not all that favorable or team friendly, but because of taking on that contract, you can perhaps attach a, uh, a draft pick to it. Do you see them making that kind of move next season? I absolutely think that's the most likely thing that they will do with their cap space. And here's where I think this gets kind of um, interesting in an inside baseball kind of way. They will have less cap room than they thought they were going to have. I mean, it's inevitable with the plummet in, um, in league-wide revenues that they will not have the 28 million that, that Mitch projected them to have when he talked with us in February. <clears throat> but I would argue that the cap, whatever cap room they do have 
will be more valuable, um, every dollar of it, in the sense that um, would, it's, it's, it's just inevitable, it seems, that more teams are going to be in danger of being in luxury tax territory. And if that is the case, they're going to be looking for some way to offload salary onto somebody else's payroll. The fact that Mitch can basically loan people cap room by absorbing a veteran contract means that he's going to have leverage in trade discussions that I didn't think he'd have when he talked about this in February. Rick, what do you think the most likely thing that the NBA is going to implement regarding giving the eight teams that weren't invited some type of competitive basketball before the start of the following season? Do, do you do you have a preference or do you have an idea of what you think is most likely to be implemented? First off, I think it's a really big deal that, um, I mean, it, it, it can't be right now in front of center of the NBA's problems because they still got so many logistical things to work out and how um, Disney will work. But there, you know, I don't think that JB was um, was exaggerating at all when he said that there, this could create a major disadvantage for the eight teams that aren't going. At minimum, at absolute minimum, I agree with Borrego that they have to be allowed to practice in roughly the same span of time that these other teams are being allowed to to practice as a group um, to to prepare for the season restart. Um, where it gets more complicated, and Mitch pointed this out, is when you start talking about ideas like, say, scrimmages with other teams, or beyond that, some sort of a, you know, like a mini league, um, that gets really difficult to imagine because of the health factors. I thought it was very interesting the way Mitch put it was he said he expects the league to do the most they can do to level the playing field short of doing anything that becomes a health risk and traveling every time every time you take a group of people and you and you, and you put them on a plane to someplace else and you have them interact with people that they wouldn't otherwise interact with that's a potential health risk. More from Rick on the player exit interviews ahead. Uh, He's always full of great information. Also full of great information, our friends at Blinkist. It's the most useful app that I have on my phone. It's really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. Basically, Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million other people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business books, health, history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA. Try it free seven days, and you get 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com NBA to start your seven-day free trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA.
going to have Rick Bennell on for one more segment. And then in the final segment, we're going to talk about PJ Washington and his driving ability. Well, I'll tell you some stats that make your driving ability as a listener better. And that's by relying on rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. But rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then choose the brand, specifications, as well as the prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for uh, professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And you can write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. We're going to get to Rick Bennell's thoughts on the player exit interviews, Dwayne Bacon, Terry Rozier. That's next on the locked on Hornets podcast. This is locked on Hornets. And the Google description here says on contracts made before June, where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades named or numbered, <laughs> B shares Batik of New York, N.B.A. So take that for what you will. That's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The Yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C minus. Let's get them on. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, I, th- I think the thing that interested me most from the player exit interviews um, came as a, a bit of a surprise that Michael Jordan uh, did a Zoom call with the players after the airing of the Last Dance documentary and discussed um, holding each other accountable, uh, among other things. Basically gave them DVD commentary about <laughs> the Last Dance. That's quite a benefit uh, for the players of this team. I'm interested in, in your thoughts on it, especially considering the remarks that we got from Kupchak and Borrego about like not having enough talent on this team. I, I just pair those two things and think like there's a lot of motivation going on around this current roster of young players and, and essentially some messaging that's saying, hey, we're, we're not good enough right now and we need certain players to step up if we hope to be that at some point. Um, I've thought for a while that because of circumstance, there's somewhat of a leadership void right now, particularly among the, the number of veterans who are in a position to do that. Um, you know, Marvin was very important in as far as knitting this team together. Um, Kemba was never very good at being the bad guy. He wasn't very good at, you know, at yelling people, yelling at people. Um, but a lot, an awful lot of leadership for one reason or another has, has departed. Um, I thought it was cool that biz took it upon himself to try to fill that gap and did to a large degree this season. That's part, by the way, part of the reason I think of the, of the, uh, of the free agents, he's the one most likely to be back. Um, as far as accountability, um, I totally understand where Michael is coming from and it's hard, I think, for young players to get in each other's faces. Uh, 
and and also I thought that Terry Rozier said something very wise when he said, you know, you really need to get to know people and understand who can handle that sort of creative tension before you just jump into that. Um, I do think this team needs to hold each other accountable more than they generally have. But I also think that that needs to happen kind of naturally and organically over time. It's not the sort of thing where you can just like snap your fingers and say, start doing this. Well, and Rick, I, I thought Terry Rozier's comments on that were awesome. I mean, I loved listening to Terry Rozier's exit interview. I, I thought he spoke exactly what was on his mind and about some of the stuff that he went through. I know of Terry Rozier's season with the Charlotte Hornets last year. You have him as the MVP of what we saw from every other player this past season. Why do you have Terry Rozier as the MVP? I don't, I don't think that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But I clearly think his total body of work this season was the best on the team, um, partially because, you know, he did some things he's never done before. I mean, 41 percent from three point range. Um, Mitch said that he thinks he's you know, he had a season that was elite in the NBA this year as far as, you know, catch and shoot from three. Um, Terry is a Terry's a very good defender. And the thing that I think has been minimized um, inappropriately is how much he adapted to the situation rather than expect the situation to adapt to him. Um, It's very easy for Devante to ascend. Um, You know, when, when bake, when things didn't work out with bake um, and, and Devante so clearly belonged in the starting lineup that created a situation where, you know, Terry was asked to do something that he didn't sign up for and he did it graciously and did it well and um, nurtured um, Devante's development rather than act in any way threatened by it. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's, yes, Terry does have a prickly side, but he's a smart guy and, and, and he really cares about his teammates. Um, I'll tell you something. You know, I was as skeptical as anybody about that contract. If he continues to perform the way he did this past season and continues to be the, you know, sort of flexible, adaptive person that he did, was this season, that's going to end up being money well spent. Rick, the two weirdest player exit interviews for me were Nick Batum and Dwayne Bacon because those are two players that are kind of on the outside looking in to the the future of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, let's start with Nick Batum. Uh, your thoughts on his comments at the end of the season and what his future holds, honestly. I mean, is he going to be a member of the Charlotte Hornets through the very end of his contract or is is there a way for the franchise to to get away from that in some way and move on uh, quicker than that, Doug. If you don't mind, let me rephrase your question a little bit. I sure. Think more, I think more the answer is: Should they look for an alternative to him playing out his contract? And here's how I mean that: There is no question I currently get asked more about the Hornets than whether Nick will, you know, be here for that last twenty-seven million dollars on that contract. Um, if the three possibilities are they trade him in ex- as an expiring contract, they arrange a buyout with him at some point, or he is here to the bitter end, I think that 
you know, maybe not by a wide margin, but I think the most likely thing is that um, this just the contract just expires with him on the roster. And I, I mean that because Mitch has has from when he got here, he realized what an incredible salary cap mess they had. And unless there's something really attractive coming back, what you would have to do to trade that contract just to make salaries match could be worse than just letting it expire under under its own weight. As far as a buyout, I'm not dismissing that possibility, but you know, Nick is Nick and his family love living in Charlotte. Um, he has sort of accepted, you know, that what happens happens. Um, I don't think he's going to force his way out of here. And if you know, re- remember, generally, not not 100 of the time, but generally, buyouts are something or discussion that a player starts, not the team starts. And I don't really know why Nick would feel this burning need to give up guaranteed money to find out what the marketplace out there might be for him. If that happens, it's much more likely to happen after the trade deadline than in the offseason. In comparison, it seems like Dwayne Bacon, a player that does not see his future in in Charlotte. Um, is that a fair assessment on his part? Is he reading the tea leaves from the organization correctly, in your opinion? No, I, I think it goes way beyond that, Doug. I think that it's obvious where, you know, I think... <laughs> there are no tea leaves. There, it, are only, there are only <laughs> obvious statements. It is. <laughs> that's a blinking... That, that's a large blinking light on the highway that says accident a mile up, up the road. Well, and what happened? Because it seemed like, I mean, Dwayne Bacon, you know, under the old regime, under the Clifford regime, I mean, he was lapping praise on this guy, saying he could be a starter in this league, had the size and the skill you know, to do it. And then the new regime comes in and it seems, I mean, he was given an opportunity certainly at the beginning of the season, but it seems to have taken a complete 180. Well, I think, you know, I think what I was in the Greenway this weekend listening to your, your podcast, didn't Walker, didn't you have some statistic that at some point in the season, early in the season, he was defined as the least off, efficient offensive <laughs> player in the league? Yeah, when we looked up about 15 or 20 games into the season that Dwayne had played, there were some measures of analytics, and I forget some of the stats, but I remember doing it at the time where all of them that I looked at had him as a bottom five offensive player in the league, and there were maybe one or two graphics that showed, no, he is literally the worst offensive player in the league, and that's kind of what I've attributed to. It's when you look at just how bad he struggled for a decent sample size, they moved on, and then it, they never really came back to him. Here, here's here's the thing that I think Dwayne is going to have to overcome um, in the NBA. Um, he's not a good decision maker with the ball generally. You know, they if, if you guys remember, one of the things they were going to try to accomplish in summer league last year was put Dwayne in a bunch of pick and rolls where he was going to have he was going to be able to have real time experience making decisions with the ball in his hands, you know, when to feed, when to drive, when to shoot. Um, That doesn't come real naturally to him. He is wired to be a scorer and he, you know, he has had a, even though he, you know, he can get to the rim anytime he wants to, but he doesn't necessarily finish real well once he gets there. And as Walker pointed out, you know, his trips to the foul line per 
you know, per two point shot attempt is not good at all. Those are the kind of efficiency numbers that have really become very defining in the NBA. He's got a lot of talent, guys. I mean, this is a person who is built like an NFL linebacker who has grace and jumping ability and all kinds of good things. And the other thing is, you know, unlike a lot of people who have very successful NBA careers, Dwayne loves basketball more than a lot of those people do. The problem is that there are holes in his game and he needs a lot of remedial help with filling those holes. I understand why he thinks that the coaches have lost faith in him here. I understand why he thinks that the most healthy thing would be to get a fresh start. And believe me, I don't think the Hornets are going to shed any tears when it ends up going someplace else. We always appreciate Rick Bennell's weekly appearance here on the podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell, uh, Bennell, putting out a lot of really good content, also putting out a mailbag column. So send them your questions again at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thank you once again. We really appreciate it. Oh, sure thing, guys. Have a great day. We'll take one more break. Come back with a final segment on PJ Washington. He says he needs to work on his handles, his playmaking ability. What's his ceiling if he improves upon that? That's next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. SGA, 20 points, 20 rebounds, triple-double. I don't have a question. Oh, I just wanted to throw yeah, that yeah, in the middle of the arena. God almighty. Oh, oh, that knife. It hurt. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I forgot about that one. That's a good one. I, I don't think we've played that in a while. It caught me off guard. I laughed at it. Uh Let's go down some of the things that Rick talked about, Doug. The first thing I want to talk about, I guess, is the number one thing that he's getting from most Hornets fans when they ask him, is Nick Batum going to be a guy that is here through the entirety of his contract and the entirety, of course, as it follows the next season? I agree with him that I can't see Nick Batum agreeing to take less guaranteed money because here's the thing with me, Doug, and especially I know you have been very critical about his want to. I feel like you've talked a lot about him being fine, and that's something that's bothered you with the kind of role that he's adapted to on this team. Where to me, maybe I haven't gone nearly as in on that aspect of his game as you have, but I will say this. When MKG agrees to a contract buyout, this is a dude that really wants to participate in a role that where he's not just sitting on the bench all the time, right? Like MK and, and, and also he's not making as much money as Nick Batum. And so maybe it makes him try to balance that kind of equation a little bit more where, okay, you know, here I am making double digit millions of dollars. I'm not going to see that in my next contract, but I really want to play, you know, what's, how do I measure that desire? Eventually he says he makes the decision to opt in because of his family. Nick Batum would be leaving a lot more money on the table if he agreed to a buyout. I don't know what the Hornets would do, I guess, in that scenario, but that, that's a lot of money for him to leave, I would imagine, with any kind of buyout. So I wonder how much that has to come into the equation. But what are your thoughts about what Nick, uh, what uh, Rick had to say about Nick Batum? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we worship the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans of the world because we we can easily understand someone born with that God-given talent then wanting to make the most of it and and achieve greatness and we struggle to understand someone that like Nick Batum who has uh, who's obviously born with the skill and obviously have some level of desire to play the game of basketball because he plays internationally and he has made it uh, to where he is in the NBA but we struggle to understand why that person would then not want 
to play as much as possible in the short window of time that his body will allow him to play. That's a difficult thing for us to wrap our heads around. And, you know, from a team perspective, Rick is right. I mean, the, all, all the incentive would have to be with Nick wanting to move on because the team obviously would love to shed some of that money. It's not going to help them build the team per se, but it would help them save money as the cap, you know, comes down on them and, and the rest of the NBA. Uh, but Nick would have to initiate that because Nick would have to agree to take some percentage less than he is owed by the team. Um, so it's just a very weird uh, situation overall. I am interested in the Terry Rozier comments by Rick as well, saying, you know, leadership has to be something that develops organically. Uh, I agree. I think credit to Terry Rozier that he came in and, and really was frustrated that he wasn't improving his, his individual game and that, and that circumstances had changed on him early in the season. But he, instead of taking that out on the coaching staff, instead of taking that out on the rest of the team, he decided to look within himself, improve himself, and, and work with Devontae Graham to make the team better. And now I think he has the leverage that he needs next season to step up and be that leadership role because really he has the personality to do it. I'm not sure that Devontae Graham will ever have the personality to be the vocal leader. And I'm not sure that that goes for PJ Washington either. But I think Devontae, or I'm, I'm sorry, I think Terry Rozier has that and, but, and now has the clout with the rest of the, te the team to become that kind of presence in the locker room. And I'm, I'm excited to see what, what develops next season. Uh, I, I'll allow the PJ Washington mention to serve to a, a transition with his comments and his play at exit interview. This is a guy that I think we were really excited about after his season really even started, Doug. I mean, how about us being pretty underwhelmed with the selection you know, for, for the most part? Didn't hate it, but also pretty safe pick at the time. At least that's what we thought. And this is a guy that is going to be in the top. He's at least getting some very real legitimate consideration as to if he'll make the first team all rookie. And that's impressive. You'll take that any day of the week with your 12th overall selection. Rel relative to the relative to Hornets draft history. Yes. Well, and, and yes. And even I just think in general, right? Like the 12th overall selection has a shot to be a top five rookie this year. Yeah. I, I think for the most part, you take that if you're an NBA GM uh, and GM, yeah, NBA GM. And to me, I think you take that. So PJ Washington said in his exit interview that he needed to work on playmaking and dribbling. I completely agree with that. This is a guy that's a power forward. But also, I think in order to reach any kind of real ceiling that allows you to be one of these stars, I think you have to be able... We always ask about creating your own shot. And we always talk about the playmaking and whether you can be the number one guy on a team. I don't think PJ Washington ever hits that. I would like him to improve on that very thing that PJ talked about. I, I completely agree with him, Doug. Like, what do you think the ceiling is if PJ is this guy that only is, you know, doing most of his damage offensively by getting set up by his teammates and maybe doing some post-ups and just pick and popping, hitting some three balls, or if he actually does improve to some degree on his handles and playmaking, what kind of ceiling do you see if he stays on this course or if he actually does improve in his handles? To me, it feels like the difference between a Thaddeus Young and a Paul Millsap. Like when we look at PJ Washington, we often say, man, that's, it seems like it's the beginning of a Paul Millsapian type player who could be a multi-time all-star. But with that comes uh, ball handling, with that comes playmaking. It's not just spotting up from three uh, it's not just setting screens. It's all the things that Paul Millsap is able to do. 
uh, for for the teams that he's been a part of. And so, I mean, to me, that's it. I mean, it's kind of simple, but it's the difference between being a Thaddeus Young. And that Thaddeus Young's a very good player. I'm not, like, insulting Thaddeus Young. But I'm just saying that Thaddeus Young, compared to Paul Millsap, is limited in what he can do offensively. Um, and, and that's uh, where I think he has to improve. Also defensively, and he talked about that as well in his exit interview, that he felt himself getting better defensively. And honestly, I think if you go back and listen to our shows from the beginning of that season to the end, we were making comments as to P.J. Washington's continued ascent as a defensive player, that he was becoming more aware and he was becoming more of a shot-blocking presence, and that surprised us as well. Um, so I think, yeah, that to me, that's the trajectory. I don't know if you agree with that assessment or not, but I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> yes. And, and I like how, yeah, at the end of that, you said we had been talking about this, what I had been alluding to throughout the season. I was right on that. And PJ Washington agrees with me at the end of the season. I do agree with both Doug of the past and I agree uh, with well, Doug. Listen, he agrees with me. So present. he's a smart guy. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, of, of, of course. High basketball IQ. <laughs> we were talking about this on the wake up call and Molly brought up some stats earlier about PJ Washington and I wanted to get to them. So PJ Washington did not dribble once Doug for 58% of his field goals made this year. Washington also wow. was very good around the rim. Yeah, that's correct. Like that, he didn't hold on. He had to have dribbled one time, right? Well, the, the, the stat, as I read it, is quote for perspective, Washington did not dribble once for fifty eight percent of his field goals made, which that's not surprising to me. Oh, right? for fifty eight percent. Okay, I wasn't listening. No, it, you weren't uh, listening a whole lot. But I still, that is still incredible that he didn't dribble no, once for more than half of his made field goals. That's oh, still no, it's, it's amazing. That's why I thought these. St- and so as we continue to go on here, there's a couple more I wanted to get to. He shot around sixty six percent near the rim but was assisted on 85% of those shots. So it's not like you're giving it to him in the post and then maybe he's got, I don't know, a million dribbles to, you know, whatever kind of post moves that he's doing in order to score. 85% of those shots he was assisted on. He didn't fare well shooting mid-range jumpers, but he did shoot 37% from three. He was assisted on 96% of those threes that he hit this year. Uh, he also only along with Zion Williamson, there's a PJ Washington and Zion Williamson were the only two rookies to average 12.2 points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists per game, 0.9 steals, 0.8 blocks, and one and a half threes across the 57 games. And remember Zion with the threes actually did most of his jam- damage, I think early in that game that we all saw him return. I uh, just some interesting stats to me, Doug, about what PJ did last year, as well as the kind of player that he was. Yeah. And, and I'll just say like, I don't expect PJ Washington to become a dribble, pull up three point shooter. I mean, you might see no. those occasionally. Um, and, and that would be an, an improvement over what we saw in his rookie season where he really didn't do it at all. But I don't think that's where he needs to focus on, and I'm sure he's not. I think where he needs to focus the sort of playmaking, dribbling, is his ability to get to the rim and and pull off some moves that get hit to create some space to get some more open shots down near the rim. And you saw the team make more of a focus towards the end of the season to get P.J. Washington post-up opportunities, but also to roll him off of, off of Devontae Graham's screens. Graham's a really good passer, and Rozier's not a bad passer either. So if you're going to play with those two guys, I mean, there are going to be opportunities to make assisted buckets, but it's, you know, what, what happens when the defense starts to shut that down? Can you make the adjustment? Can you make for yourself? I think that's what we have to see from P.J. Washington moving into his second, third, and fourth season. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. Maybe that does make me smart because I agree with Doug, even though I'm a little worried too. High basketball IQ Uh, if you agree with me. (laughs) That wraps up this edition of Lockdown Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA, Hollinger and Duncan and rejecting the screen. Have a great day.